I'm Pat O'Mahony and welcome to the third of our five Media Curious off-message podcasts in association with JOLT, an EU Horizon 2020 project coordinated by the Fujo Institute at Dublin City University, investigating how best to harness digital and data technology for modern news gathering and journalism. In this episode, my guest is Sophie Chauvet, who's researching the dangers of over-relying on analytics and data in journalism. Sophie, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You're in Paris, am I right? Yes, I'm in Paris right now. Thanks for having me, Pat. Is that home sweet home? Uh, yes, it's been my home for the last uh, three years. I got back here just to do this uh, PhD project. You got back from where? Uh, I got back from living in London. Ah, okay, okay. So have you been to Dublin? Have you been to Ireland at all as part of this project? Well, yes, we had the pleasure of all meeting each other in Dublin uh, during the first year. And okay. uh, we saw the university, DCU, and we met all the members of the consortium. Ah, excellent. Okay. Your project as part of the overall JOLT program is about statistics, lies, damn lies and statistics, but with a particular angle. Tell me about it. Yes. So I'm working on what uh, are called uh, audience analytics. So they are statistics. Um, They are data that are used to uh, make better decisions whether editorially or financially, in the context of journalism. So editors would have to decide which content to publish at what moment, and they would use this type of data to, to do so. Why this? What, what was it about this that particularly caught your eye? Well, I think that um, I, I always try to go back to the same anecdote, is that um, Before working in journalism, I worked in a communications agency and I was looking at uh, Facebook and Google Analytics more or less on a daily basis. And I was really struck Mm -hmm. by uh, the constraints offered by these um, data because you cannot make your own calculations. Uh, Sometimes the data is a bit, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a bit blurry. It's hard to, to make it really precise. And uh, when I tried to investigate a bit, I realized that people didn't really care about how precise or reliable it was. And I think that kind of started my uh, my investigation with this thesis. Mm. I, I know where you're coming from, because it's always struck me that the data that one has for whether it's downloads or listenership to a podcast or whether it's advertising figures or who's read your post um, comes from the site that it's on. Uh, so you have to take their word for it. Yes, exactly. But sometimes we don't always have all of the context and we're always so fascinated and we always want to know who has seen um, the content, right? It's something that's mm-hmm. really exciting as well. So is maths your thing? Uh, not at all. Actually, I'm not great with numbers and I much prefer words and storytelling. And I don't know if you can really oppose them. But uh, the idea of studying numbers and statistics statistics for three years was a bit, uh, sounded a bit daunting to me. So I had to find a way mm-hmm. to connect it to my other interests. And um, so that's how I kind of evolved into studying people that use this uh, audience analytics on a daily basis. So there's something a bit more social to it. 
And actually, when you look at uh, words and poetry and things like that, you realize that it has a lot to do with uh, metrics in the different sense of the word, of course, but it's not that disconnected, actually. It's the same with music. Music is very mathematical. Exactly. So there's arts in numbers, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Did you approach it cynically? Um, did you approach it thinking this is a hoax or did you think there was more to it than that? Um, I think the approach that I have is a question that I ask myself very often because I think that, of course, as researchers, we are expected to be critical. And when we are faced with an industry that's um, monopolized by very few actors that can get very mm -hmm. powerful, it's important to be critical. At the same time, um, I kind of want to approach this with a curious and open mind because these are still um, people that are willing to show how they're working and people who have very good intentions. So I think the question of where my critique can be a bit moral is something that I ask myself quite, quite often. So I'm not there yet, but I'll probably find an answer on that. As you set out to do uh, your project looking at uh, metrics there were quite there have been quite a few news stories and scandals and revelations in the past few years i presume these were at the heart of your study definitely i mean those scandals are are cases where uh, journalism and its quality were really jeopardized by this uh, internet business model that can be driven by metrics and view and um, and high and quick consumption, you know? So we can talk about the scandal of the Facebook's pivot to video, mm -hmm. when Facebook uh, kind of um, inflated metrics of video, uh, thus pushing- When was this? That was in 2015. So. Okay. That was a big case that it impacted journalism quite a lot. Um, but there are some smaller cases that have kept on happening because people don't really realize how these metrics influence how journalism is funded and all the business models that are around it. But basically, um, if you care too much about these metrics and the statistics, you may um, uh, lose sight of what really matters and if you base your strategy only on this you're very dependent on the companies that provide the metrics and that provide it uh, without taking into account that they may not be always so well understood I'm, I'm going to come back to the algorithms that, that drive metrics in a moment but I want to stay with the Facebook um, story because their pivot to video affected newsrooms and news organizations around the globe. Yes, that's correct. Um, actually, what happens, what happened is that Facebook decided to uh, promote or like to make videos more visible in their newsfeed. So as a result, some newsrooms, many actually decided to uh, focus their strategy on producing more videos, thinking that it would gather more views and then generate more advertising revenue. The problem is that uh, the way that video views were counted were not that clear. So advertising revenue didn't follow that much. And a lot of newsrooms lost a lot of money, even though they had already fired a lot of reporters in order to adapt to this uh, pivot to video strategy. So then I think a couple of years later, um, there was a scandal that showed that Facebook had inflated 
those numbers in a very significant way. Um, and yeah, so it's in the end, it's journalism that paid the price for that. And the algorithms that drive these metrics, I mean, they're not entirely scientific. Some humans have to come up with them. We don't know what, what, what goes into the design of the algorithms that determine the metrics. Yes, that's a very important question uh, in terms of bias and how it can influence uh, uh, those algorithms and what they produce, but it's not exactly what my research is about. I think in my case, where I look at just the metrics, it's really more of a financial indicator. So I think what the intention of this is more to gather more revenue. But if we go back to the question of bias, it can kind of influence it, but in a less direct way. For example, there is the case of um, brand safety, which is an actor that is between advertisers and publishers and uh, that will filter um, advertisers' keywords so that advertisers' content doesn't show to, uh, next to um, problematic content. But sometimes this brand safety is not so well done, which, mean, which means that it will block revenue from funding um, content that's about, for example, racism or sexism, because this is considered as a keyword that's not so brand safe. So that's one problem of how this ecosystem uh, can influence uh, journalistic coverage in a negative way. Gotcha. If they have keywords that are flagged, there's no context to those keywords. Yes, exactly, because it's uh, most of the time it's automated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm reminded of uh, being told that uh, in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, brands didn't want to be associated with the negativity of covid and even though online uh, most news stories, the big hard-hitting news stories, the ones that most people were reading, were about COVID, and yet advertisers didn't want to support them. So in an anomaly, the biggest red stories weren't being supported by advertisers. It was very strange. Exactly. That's a really great example of that of how opaque uh, this ecosystem can be, even though it may seem so absurd as this example shows. Because we were mm. all so connected and all looking at so many news articles at this time. So you set out to look at how these metrics uh, work around journalism, around news stories. What was your plan? How did you think you were going to conduct your research? Right. So... Um, my background is not technical at all. As I said, I'm not really good with math. I'm not really good with technology. So the approach was <laughs> to uh, go around the black box, as uh, many other researchers do, is to approach it from a qualitative perspective. So rather than trying to reverse engineer um, a tool or to understand uh, the mathematical value of uh, these analytics, uh, I chose to study the people around it, um, see what they have in mind, where they come from, how they work, what are their frustrations, and uh, how they come up with these um, measurements, basically, to, to try to, to understand what exactly is being invisibilized when you get to that uh, end product, which is a defined metric. So you were more interested in humanizing the, the mathematics, so to speak? 
Yes, exactly. Because I think that part of the power of analytics or statistics um, is not the fact that they uh, represent reality, because it's always more of an attempt to get closer to some ideal than a precise uh, capturing of reality. So I think it's really important to see uh, what were the decisions that led to having this specific metric, because they're always kind of a an attempt to to capture something, but it's not. Which I don't think it should be considered as a fixed reality, especially for metrics, because metrics is more like an objective of what you want to to do. So obviously, COVID happened. Yes. Um, I presume that changed your plans. It did change my plans. Uh, but the good thing is that it changed the plans of a lot of people and also of mm-hmm. the people that I'm studying. So fortunately, with the Internet, um, I can always contact people only with a few clicks, which is great. Uh, but of course, um, this was a structural change to my research because a lot of things have changed. I mean, the example that you brought with the COVID brand safety is a really good one. Um, and then, I mean, the whole world slowed down, so I had to get with that pace too and accept that <laughs> what I had in mind for my first year was mm-hmm. just not going to happen. But I think it's part of research. Uh, you have to be flexible. And whether it would have been a pandemic or any other events, things never really go exactly as planned. So, so did you have to completely change the pace of your research as well as how you did it? Um, I think... The word pace is interesting because maybe when I started my research, as I'm studying journalism, which is a very fast-paced environment, Mm -hmm. it's very tempting to just follow everything that's being published. And there's a lot of content that's being published uh, to be on Twitter the whole time. And actually, that's not what research is about. Or I I think that's what I've understood from it, is that you have to slow down and try to notice the bigger trends. And I think that's what I like about the theoretical approach as well, is that when you delve into those uh, theoretical texts, you realize that some things don't change and have been happening for years or decades. And I think that COVID kind of forced me to slow down and see this. And I'm not sure I would have been able to if the world had kept on going with such a fast Ah. pace. Who did you talk to? What kind of people and what kind of stories were you told that were of interest and of relevance? So I've been trying to gather a sample that's uh, quite diverse. So, of course, the first step was to talk to journalists who handle analytics and also talk to companies that are directly providing these analytics. Uh, Some are more accessible than others and some uh, speak a language that's more accessible than others, um, if that makes sense. Um, are, are most uh, willing to speak about the topic? Well, um, yes. I think they, the analytics companies were quite accessible because they also produce a lot of webinars and a lot of um, online documents to show their products. So, mm-hmm. well, of course, they're not going to tell me all their industry secrets, but... Um, <laughs> they'll they'll say a few things that are still quite interesting. Mm. Um, And I think that uh, what's interesting is to do this over a period of three years as well, because I, the more I delve into it, the more I see that some things that I was certain of are not that certain actually, because 
I think what's what we can hear often is that the ecosystem of actors behind like online advertising analytics, which is quite closely related, is something that's really really opaque and really hard to track and all. But actually, I think that's one of the many examples where we have to debunk the mythologies that are around like, big data and all the companies that are around it because maybe in fact it's not that complicated and maybe it's not that opaque and maybe there are not as many actors that are involved in it but these actors have a vested interest in making other actors think that it's so complex and opaque were you only uh, in, indeed are you only interested in legitimate actors uh, in the business or are you also looking at those whose intentions may be less honest those who employ bots and uh, fake uh, deliberately go out of their way to produce fake figures right well um i have to be realistic and uh i have a deadline so i'm just going to stick to uh, what is feasible and actors that are accessible because i think so far um also this uh, industry is not so so well researched so there's a lot to do already mm. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it would, of course, be so fascinating to go interview those people, like the bad actors, as we say, um, that commit fraud and that have click farms and whatsoever. But the problem is that I don't think anyone knows who these people are. And I don't think it would be so easy to access them. And that's probably the topic of another research. But for now, I'm focusing mm. on what's um, feasible, visible, accessible. Sure, that makes sense. I'm not sure they'd want to talk to you either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, did you have to do much reading around the topic? Is there much there already to read? Yes, I did a lot of readings, but that's also because I like to do it. Um, there are there's a few um, papers and research that's done. Actually, that's quite a lot that's being done already on journalism and analytics per se, like how journalists use... Um, those metrics and whether it influences editorial content. There was a particular interest in that, um, I think in 2014, 16, uh, when um, uh, newsrooms were particularly present on Facebook, which is less mm. so the case now. Um, well, also it was a time where I think it was the peak of clickbait content. And I think that journalists have now realized um, but it was not such a good strategy, and so they are moving more towards uh, membership and paywall models. So um, on that sector, there's a lot that's been done, but I'm focused more on um, the, the, the unseen parts of it, so the advertising ecosystem, and I'm trying to, to bring both together because I think that this under-research area of how journalism is being funded via those metrics from an advertising perspective, I think there's more connections with actual editorial analytics than we think. Um, and so, yes, I've read a lot. I've read a lot of um, theory on, um, on the um, sociology of statistics as well, how they're used. Um, I read a lot about um, journalism's online transition as well. Mm. And actually, at first, I tried to have quite an eclectic uh, sample of readings, and I think this is all coming together, and it will have to come together because I'll have to actually produce and write now. So it will be an interesting <laughs> uh, 
uh, work to do. And as my supervisor said, interestingly, it's a it's a suing job now. It's about bringing it all together. And I really liked this metaphor. Where are you so currently in the project? How, where are you on interviewing people and research? Are you finished? Are you at the analytical stage yet? No, I am not done interviewing. I think I want to do more interviews. Uh, I want to give myself maybe a few more weeks or a few more months uh, doing field work, collecting data, whether it's doing interviews or attending online events or um, analyzing any PR content or white papers. I want to do more of that until I get a sense that, uh, I think it's called like beta saturation or something, until I get a sense Mm -hmm. that I have enough to write. But I think that for me, how I approached the interviews, I had to take into account all the lockdowns and all the, I don't know, I guess the energy of people. And I think in mm. France, things have felt so slowed down that I'm kind of hoping that um, things will start gathering pace and maybe people will be more keen to talk about their work, maybe a bit less, um, you know, slowed down by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I guess we're all hoping that yes. uh, f- for everything. <laughs> have you, even though you're not finished your research, have you noticed patterns? Have you seen things that you know they're heading in a direction? Have you have you any conclusions yet? Um, I've definitely seen patterns, and I think that while I'm focused on journalism, um, the things that I keep on hearing or reading of how data is being used, how we use metrics um, is goes beyond journalism. I mean, the way that we act around um, or like how how we use metrics and data strategies uh, are things that are applicable to many, many industries, whether it's uh, retail or e-commerce or or any other. I think that journalism uh, the way it's being approached by by the online advertising industry is is only one part of it, uh, but but and even though it's a really important one because uh, news outlets are what gathers probably the most views um, on the internet are one of the most important actors, but at the mm. same time the way it works is also really connected to um, other sectors like. Um, finance or government surveillance so I think that my challenge is kind of how to narrow down to one sector even though some things that I notice can also be applied to other sectors so I know it's not really precise but I haven't analyzed everything yet Um, what's your deadline you've plenty of time left yet don't you I think I would like to give myself one more year max Ah, okay it just occurred to me now, as you're talking about advertising decisions and news story decisions being made on metrics, um, historically, of course, back in the good old analog days, advertising was a murky art as well. It wasn't hard and scientific. The digital age was supposed to lead us to a more accurate and targeted way of doing things that's what's so actually so fascinating about this is that you're finding maybe it isn't 
Yes, I mean, as we very often say in research, nothing happens in a vacuum. And uh, I think that the practices that we can observe today come from a long history of advertising practices. The only difference is the scale and how it's been automated and the actors probably. But um, yes, in fact, uh, I read a book where they were saying that in the 80s and the 90s, people were like, um, measurement companies were already claiming that their numbers were super reliable when I think it was kind of a known secret that it's never that precise. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it will never be 100% precise. The goal is to kind of have more like benchmarks and comparable data, but it will never be as precise as we want to be. And I think that's the role of metrics actually is to, to give a general idea, but it will never be um, the reality that we think it is. And that's what people need to understand as well. And I don't think that people know how to to use this data and take them as for what they are rather than just what they are being promised to, to be. In fact, that leads nicely into uh, my next question. Um, the impact that you hope your project will have, is it that people come away from it with actually a more realistic take on what metrics actually offer rather than what they've been promised to offer down the years? Yes. Well, actually, I think that since the antiquity, we've always thought that numbers can provide so much. And we, some researchers called about the um, ideal of harmony. And there's a bit of a trap into thinking that numbers can demonstrate everything. But in terms of my research, I hope to highlight or to deconstruct how these numbers are actually constructed with uh, some companies' vested interests. And I think mm -hmm. what I would like to show with my research as well is, um, is how all these industries that look like they're separated actually spill onto one another through these metrics. Because, for example, the practices or like the objectives of advertising may be completely different or, or from platforms can be different from those of journalism. And yet with this exchange of data, they kind of um, gets uh, blended together but the problem is that it's done in an asymmetrical way so I think it's really important that we keep in mind that some people have interests and some have way more power than others and I think that in the context of journalism which is an industry that has such a high importance in democracies it's really important to keep that in mind and to highlight this so that um, well I guess the final objective is to make um, journalism of great uh, democratic value and that it helps people and that it stays independent rather than co-opted by um, companies that are more driven by financial incentives, I guess. Who do you think should read this project when it's done? Who are your, who's your target? Is it for journalists or is it for those who consume journalism is it for advertisers? Is it for those who consume advertising? Um, I think to be really precise, it would be better if I, if it was read by those in newsrooms that make editorial and financial decisions. I think these are the people who should read it. But at the same time, I would also like to explore um, how the data that 
what is the data that is being extracted and should we as audience should we be worried and i would really like to be able to answer that question i don't think like it's not the priority of my project but i would like to know that's more in depth too what have you got out of it personally so far how has doing this project impacted you well i think it's really enabled me to connect the dots between several different research interests that i had because i used to work a lot on the question of disinformation and i think that one approach to solve that is to understand how uh the internet is being funded and how journalism is being funded and the architecture that underpins all of that and how it can be um, hijacked or misused in a way that really uh, makes uh, poor quality journalism or bad actors really proliferate. So I think it's really mm. given me perspective on that and it's made me understand the ecosystem much better. But it's also, well, I mean, a PhD is a huge opportunity to think about a lot of really deep questions which is sometimes sometimes a bit overwhelming um, but I think it's really also helped me to um, like sometimes it makes me a bit scared about the future of media but sometimes it also makes me think about things more uh, relatively and it helps also to move away from sometimes media discourses that can be really uh, scary or anxiety inducing because then mm -hmm. I can s potentially see a bit more clearly through um, uh, fears uh, that may be peddled by some actors that have an interest in making things look worse than they really are. It strikes me, just finally, it strikes me that the word that is at the very core of your research is trust. Trust, yes, it's really important um, because trust in media is really important. Uh, trust in numbers is also an interesting um, aspect to take into account. So that's why I think it's really important to look at this topic from a qualitative human perspective rather than just technological mm, or mm or mathematical. So you have another few months of, of research and then you sit down with the onerous task of writing it all up and pulling it all together. That's when the fun starts. Yeah, I think it can be quite a cathartic moment as well because after thinking about these questions for, well, three years and after having been through um, an interesting COVID year as well, mm, um, mm. I think it will it will it can be quite a satisfying moment to see it all come together with an end product and some conclusions as well some results that should sure. really yeah, yeah. well hopefully benefit a bit some people so okay okay well i i i mean it's fascinating you're right uh, metrics on the internet are at the heart of everything and yet we know so little about them so i'm fascinated by it and i think we all look forward to reading your end product when it when it arrives and good luck with it and uh, and and thank you for talking to me today as part of this jolt series of podcasts sophie chauvet merci beaucoup thank you so much pat it was really great to chat with you
So thanks again to Sophie Chauvet for telling me more in this Jolt Off Message podcast about her research into how we perhaps shouldn't over-rely on analytics and data in journalism. More information on Jolt and the other podcasts in the series can be found at joltetn.eu. You can also find all these and more media-savvy podcasts and blogs and subscribe to future ones at patomahony.ie slash offmessage. We're Off Message 1 on both Twitter and Facebook. Until the next time, I'm Pat O'Mahony, this is Off Message, and thank you for listening.